Open your Bibles again to Philippians chapter 3. Keep your Bibles ready to turn to a few passages of Scripture of the text passage we read, verses 7 through 11. Verse number 10 is my text verse, and I have that first phrase underlined where the Bible says, that I may know him. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless the preaching of your word tonight. I sure have enjoyed the singing. I've enjoyed the fellowship of your people. What a joy it is to serve you as a team and as a family. Thank you for our visitors who are with us and the many who are watching online. I pray your will be accomplished and you would be pleased. In Jesus' name, amen. The cardinal sin against God spelled out in the Old Testament is that of idolatry. We find it to be in every rebellion against God. Rather than worshiping the God of heaven when there is a rebellion, they replace him with the worship of an idol. We find it present in every group of heathen or heathen nations as they all have a desire for a God to worship. Egypt was a nation of idolatry. In fact, when you do a study of the plagues that went to, to uh, the nation of Egypt as God was uh, preparing uh, the, de uh, the deliverance of his people from uh, the bondage of slavery, you'll find that the plagues were an actual attack and exposure of the false idols that they had. Now, I cannot imagine worshiping lice or even frogs or anything like that, but God would show to them that their imaginary gods could not save them. Babylon was a nation of idolatry. Rome is a land of idolatry. The Vatican City is a place of idolatry, idol worship. It is found throughout the Catholic Church, if you've been inside of any of the Catholic buildings and to see all of the statutes and the statues and the saints and all of that that they worship. When you read the Word of God, you find that that idolatry is a cardinal sin against God. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to Exodus chapter 20 as we look at the law here as God begins to teach His people and write in the law what he wanted his people to know, he began not only with telling them, I am the only God. I am the creator of the world and everything in it. I'm the only God and I not only want you to worship not only me, I do not want you to worship any other God. I want you to notice what he says beginning in verse number 3. Exodus 20, verse number 3, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above. Don't, don't even make a spiritual image. I don't want you to have an image to worship. I want you to worship me. Or that is in the earth beneath. That would be something that God has created. Or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. 
For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Romans chapter 1, the Bible tells us that the wrath of God is revealed against those that worship the creature rather than the creator. Take your Bibles and go to the book of Colossians chapter 3. We find this instruction against the worship of idolatry not only in the Old Testament and not only given to heathen lands, but given specifically to the people of God. We find in Colossians chapter 3, if you'll notice in verse number 5, the Bible says mortify, or that means to kill, that means to subdue, not allow to control. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, this is excessive or unnatural affection, evil concupiscence, or that is feeding or making strong sexual desires, and covetousness, notice these words, which is idolatry. Now, how is that idolatry? Because it is worshiping our desires rather than loving the God that created the world and created us. So all of these things are a form of, of worshiping self. They are an idolatry. Look at verse number 6. For which things sake the wrath of God. Now we see this all the way through the Bible. The wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Idolatry is doing what self wants to do rather than what God wants us to do. Now get a hold of that definition idolatry is doing what the flesh wants to do and finding a God that says it's right and it's okay rather than worshiping the God that made us. Idolatry is making an image or imagination, long form of the word image. Idolatry is making an imagination to fit what we desire a God to be. Sometimes folks will say to me, I don't understand why they would worship a rock or, or, or a cow or I don't know why they would worship an image. They're not. They're worshiping their own desires and creating a God that gives permission for them to do what they desire to do themselves. They're not worshiping a rock. They're saying that God gives me permission to do what I want to do, so I worship that rock. The truth is idolatry is a humanism or the worship of what we desire to do. Are you with me tonight? Idolatry is what I imagine God to be or what I would want him to be rather than what or who he really is. Ever heard about someone, someone that's interesting or someone that you've heard about and you thought, well, I'd like to meet them. 
Uh, maybe you heard about somebody's grandparents or you heard about uh, somebody's uh, 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 a person in a family. Maybe they're a decorated veteran or what have you. And you hear about them and you think, boy, I'd love to meet them. And finally one day you meet them, but they're not what you imagine them to be. Uh, they're not in reality. They're not in appearance. They're not, uh, or perhaps you've heard stories about someone and you thought, wow, uh, this guy's got to be eight foot six inches tall and, and he just has to be a world champion. And uh, you go meet them and they say, well, that's really not exactly the truth. And you're disappointed because that person is not who you imagine them to be. John warned in 1 John chapter 5, this is not the Old Testament, so he's not just speaking to the nation of Israel. He says in the book of 1 John, which would have been specifically to the third generation after Christ. So the third generation after Christ. He says to them, little children, keep yourselves from idols Amen. Now when we think of an idol, we think of a little statue or a big statue. We think of a, a rock or a stone or an image or something. And, and that's what we think of. But now an idol is an image or an imagination of what we desire or want a God to be. Ultimately, a God that will say, you have my permission to do what you want to do. Do you know the most wicked people in the world would always gather a group of prophets or a god because they wanted someone in the spiritual world to approve of their behavior? Do you know there were many prophets that worked for Jezebel? Now why would she hire prophets to work for her? Because she wanted to say what I'm doing is justified by what the prophets say I can do. Now what that was was a form of idolatry. So she's saying, I don't want to do what God wants me to do. And I don't want to worship who God is. I want to make my own God so he can give me permission to do, to say, to go, to be, whatever I want to do in my life. Take your Bibles and go to Isaiah 44. Isaiah 44. And I want you to go down to verse number 9. Back and forth in the Old Testament and New Testament, we find it all the way through God's warning against idolatry. Now, when we think of idolatry, we think of something that has been handmade. That's what he's talking about here in Isaiah. Look at Isaiah 44, verse number 9. They that make a graven image... Are all of them vanity? Now the word vanity comes from the word vain or selfish. Very important to understand that. So a graven image is made in selfishness. I found a God that tells me I can do what I want to do. I found a God. And so he says they're in vain. And they're delectable things. And that is a word for appetizing or enjoyable things shall not profit and they are their own witnesses. They see not, nor know that they may be ashamed. Who hath formed a God or molten a graven image? That would be out of iron or gold or silver. They've melted or molten a graven image that is profitable for nothing. Behold, all his fellows shall be ashamed and the workmen that are men 
Let them all be gathered together. Let them stand up. Ye, uh, yet they shall fear and they shall be ashamed together. Now what's he saying here? He's saying those that trust in God, uh, you're going to be let down because there never has been a God to deliver you uh, but the God of heaven. There never has been a God to set you free from a bondage uh, but the God of heaven. Uh, you've carved eyes but those eyes can't see. Uh, you've molten ears but those ears can't hear. You need to pray to a God that can see you. You need to pray to a God that can hear you. You need to pray to a God that loves you. And so he's telling them here not to be involved in idolatry. Now the Bible warns us that we'll be more than disappointed if we trust in an idol. We will be let down and life will be made worse from idolatry rather than better. Let me read you two more verses. Psalm 16.4, Psalm 16.4, their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. 1 Corinthians 10.14, wherefore my dearly beloved flee from idolatry. Jeremiah chapter 11 verse number 12, then shall the cities of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem go and cry unto the gods unto whom they offer incense, but they shall not save them at all in the time of their trouble. Now here's the purpose of the message. I was praying a few weeks ago, and I was just talking to the Lord, and I said, Lord, I want to know you better. I want to know you as you are. I know that I'm not supposed to be involved in idolatry, and I don't have any images that I would offer incense to. I don't have an image or a candle that I would light and that I would pray to. I don't do that, but God, I don't want you to be who I imagine you to be. I want to know you as you are. Is it possible that you and I, in an independent fundamental Baptist church, with the King James Bible, could have an imagination of who God is and not really know the God of heaven. So I challenge us tonight. I challenge our thinking. Do we know God or do we have an independent fundamental Baptist God that we have created? Now don't misunderstand that statement at all. I'm independent. I believe in the fundamentals of that book. I am a Baptist. I am an independent fundamental Baptist, but I don't want a God that I've created in my imagination. I want to know Him. I want to know Him for who He is. I'm often surprised at what I hear attributed to God. I see and I read those who promote a Christianity with worldliness with all of the behaviors and all of the activities and all of the vocabulary, all the things of the world. And I wonder, 
is that God or is God the person that I read in the Bible? I don't want to create a God. And I'm challenging us tonight not to be Christians of idolatry that create a God or the person we think is God or who we want to be to give us permission to do the things that we don't want to do and to condemn the things that we don't like in the lives of others. I want to know who he is. I see those who actually criticize publicly those that teach standards of behavior and standards of separation from the world and Bible decency and they make accusation of legalism and legalist and all of that and for the past month since praying that and saying God I want to know who you are do you know God or do you have an image or an imagination of who we want God to be Ask yourself the question tonight, do I know God? Do I really know the God of heaven? Do I know him? I want to know God as he is. I do not want to have an image or an imagination of who I want God to be. I want to know him. And so ask the question, how, how do I know God? I'll give you three answers. First of all, I know him from his word. He spoke for himself. God is who he said he is. Take your Bibles and go tonight to the book of John. The book of John. And I want you to see what the Bible says about who he is. John chapter 1, the Bible says this. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Verse number 11, the Bible said, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Verse number 14, the Bible says, And the word, we read about in verse 1, 2, and 3, was made flesh. And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I want to say tonight, if you know God, you'll get to know him from his word. This is not a book about God. This is God's book about himself. These are not opinions and ideas and stories and philosophies about who God is. Uh, he said, and uh, you go to a book like Ezekiel, and he said they're going to know uh, that I am God and I'm the only God there is. I'm the only God that can see. I'm the only God that can hear. I'm the only God that can answer. I'm the only God that can deliver. I'm the only God that has the right to be jealous and to bring judgment. I'm the only God that can decide what is right and wrong because I created the world and I created everything in it to know God you have to know the God of the Bible not the God of Hollywood not the God of storybooks but the God of the Bible in the book of Genesis we find that he is the creator he's the giver of life he created man and from a man made he a woman I'll go on 
I'll let you chase that rabbit. You all went after him. I heard your guns load right there. You were going after him. I know you can define male and female because it's right there in the Bible. So I know God. He is the creator. He's the giver of life. He is the organizer of all life. He is life, and I find that his life in Genesis. I find that his life in the Gospel of John. I find that his life in the book of Matthew. I find that his life in the book of Revelation. I find who God is. He is a creator. He's a giver of life. In Exodus, he is the law and the law giver, and uh, he is the deliverer to all who would attempt to enslave uh, the righteous. In the, in the book of Leviticus, he is holy, and he is righteous. He is pure. He is not close to right. He is right. He's not close to truth. He is truth. He's not close to righteous. He is righteousness. The book of Leviticus tells us he is holy. The book of Numbers is the history of Israel. It is not just history. It is his story. It's his people. The book of Deuteronomy, he is the same and never changing. He's a faithful one. He's a true one. He's a just one. And we find at the constitution for the nation of Israel, he said, if you do this, I'll bless you. If you do this, you'll have the cursings of that bad behavior. I want to know him. I want to see him in his word. I want to know him in his own words. I read the Bible, not just for the words in it. I want to know him. I've used this illustration before. When my wife and I were dating, we wrote letters. They didn't have text messages, didn't have cell phones, didn't have emails. So we wrote a letter. I'd write a letter, and I'd expect her to get it in about three days. I expect her to write a letter immediately when she got that letter and respond. And so we would, we would correspond about every seven days. Now, when I read the letter, it wasn't the letter, the paper, the words I was interested in. I was interested in her. There's a great big difference. I didn't analyze the words. I didn't analyze the ink. I didn't analyze uh, the, uh, uh, the handwriting. I didn't. I just wanted to know about her. And when I read that book right there, I'm not reading something to make a cute meme. I'm not reading something to make me feel good. I want to know him. I don't want to just know words. I want to know the person. This is not a book about God. This is the book of God. So if I want to know him, I have to know him through his word. I don't want to make up my own God. I want to know God as he is. Second of all, if I know him, I must know the Holy Spirit. Now when we got saved, the Holy Spirit, when we said yes to Christ, when we said, Jesus, I receive you as my Savior, the Holy Spirit of God moved inside us, and he sealed us until the day of redemption. When my grandmother would can, she would put those green beans or sauerkraut or whatever it was, and uh, she would, uh, after uh, putting those in those uh, number two wash tubs, and I would keep the fire going uh, under uh, the wash tubs, and they would boil forever, uh, how long the hours uh, that she uh, decided, and then uh, she would take those uh, uh, big handles, and she would pick those... Uh, uh, glass jars out and she would set them on uh, the concrete window sill 
And as they would cool off, you would hear them go. How many of you ever heard that sound? I remember the first time asking, Granny, what's wrong with them? What, what is that? She said, those are sealing. She said, when they seal, they'll be sealed and they will be as good the day we open them as the day we put them in there. And she was telling the truth. When he saved me, he sealed me. The Holy Spirit of God moved in and I am sealed unto the day of redemption and nobody can get to me because I am in the hand of the Father, surrounded by the hand of God, surrounded by the Holy Spirit. Old Dr. Lakin used to say the devil doesn't even know where I am. If he found out where I was, by the time he got to me, he'd get saved himself. Nobody can open me until the day I'm redeemed, until my day of redemption. Now the Holy Spirit sealed me. Now the Holy Spirit didn't come to magnify his office. The Holy Spirit didn't come to magnify men. The Holy Spirit didn't come to magnify men. I hear folks say, well, I know I'm saved or I'm knowing this, I'm knowing that uh, because the Holy Spirit let me do this and that proves the Holy Spirit didn't come to prove anything about me. The Holy Spirit came to talk about God or to reveal Christ in our lives. Take your Bible and go to the book of John quickly. Now, I want to know God. I don't want to have an imagination God. You say, preacher, you're an independent, fundamental Baptist preacher and Christian. What do you mean? I mean, I don't want to imagine who God is. I want to know who God is. I don't want to hear others tell me about him. I want to meet with him in the morning and open his word and say, God, reveal yourself to me. I want the Holy Spirit in my heart and mind to reveal God as to who he is in my life. John chapter 14 now. I want you to go to verse number 17. Here's what the Holy Spirit does. John 14, 17. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now look at verse number 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, that promise was fulfilled as recorded in uh, Acts chapter 1. He shall teach you all things and shall bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now go to chapter 15 and verse number 26. John 15, 26. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. I, I, I don't care what Hollywood thinks about God. I want to know what the Holy Ghost thinks about God. I don't want somebody that doesn't know him to tell me about him or who they imagine him to be. I want the Holy Spirit to reveal who he is to me. John chapter 16, if you will. John 16, and notice in verse number 13. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and will show you things to come. Romans chapter 8, quickly, Romans chapter 8. 
and verse number 26. Romans 8, 26, if I want to know God, I want to talk to the Holy Spirit who dwells in me. He doesn't live in me just during church. He lives in me on Monday morning and Monday night and Tuesday morning and Tuesday night and 3 o'clock in the morning and 4 o'clock in the afternoon. He, de- uh, uh, he lives in me all of the time and he works in me. Not only does he do that in verse number 26, likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with, with groanings which cannot be uttered. So he tells God what I need. He tells God, he tells me what I need and what I need to pray for. I'm reminded of what Solomon said. He said, I'm, a like, I'm like a child. I don't know whether to go in or out. I don't know what to do. I need wisdom. And here he said, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He makes intercession for me. I want to know the God of the Bible, not the God of an imagination. I want to know the God of the book, not a God of my feelings or my emotions. Number three, last of all, how can I really know who God is? First of all, his word. Second of all, the Holy Spirit of God. Third of all, walking with God in his service. Galatians chapter 5, the Bible says, walk in the Spirit. doesn't say visit him on Sunday morning. doesn't say visit him in revival meeting during the summer. The Bible says, walk in the Spirit. Now go back to the text passage and we'll close here. Philippians 3, verse number 7. Paul says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. First of all, he's saying, I want God's will, not my will, and that helps me to know God. The average Christian tries to convince God to help them do their will. Paul said, the way I get to know God is to forget my will and go over here and do what God's will is. You want to get to know God, walk in his will. Surrender to his will. Do what God wants you to do. Quit wasting your time trying to get God to bless what you want him to bless and get over here under the spout where the glory runs out and that's in the will of God. And Paul said, what I used to do, I don't do that anymore. I want to live in the will of God. Verse number eight, yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung they're just waste throw it away that I may win Christ you know what he's saying I've learned to value value the eternal valuables above the valuables of life that are temporal I found out the things of God have far more value to them than the things of earth Look at verse number 9. And be found in him not having mine own righteousness. Now, I, I couldn't get enough righteousness to be saved. I can't get enough righteousness to stay saved. I didn't have any righteousness. I still don't have any righteousness. That's all in him. The only righteousness I have is of Christ. So if I have any pride of things I've done, I'm trying to create my own righteousness. I don't have any. Paul said I didn't have and I still don't have any righteousness. Do you see that? It's not my own. That's of the law. But that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him. 
and the power of his resurrection. What was the power of his resurrection? The Holy Spirit. That's what raised him from the grave. I want to know him. I want to know the power of the Holy Spirit or the power that raised him from the grave. And the fellowship of his sufferings. I preached this morning, Christianity is not a class to audit. A lot of folks want to learn about God, but they don't want to take any tests. Don't want any assignments. Paul said, that's where I learned God. I learned when I ran out of strength and I came to my weakest point, I found, hey, God's stronger than I ever thought about being. All I need is my weakness and his strength and we can accomplish God's will in my life. Now, here's a message tonight. Do we worship a God we've imagined him to be? Or do we worship the God of the Bible? I want to challenge you to say to God, God, I want to know you for who you are. I want to know you for who your book says you are. And Holy Spirit, help me to understand the book. And the Holy Spirit works through the word of God. I want to walk in your will that I may know you, even to the place if I have to suffer. Paul said, I glory in my infirmities. <laughs> it's amazing. Why? So I can know his power. That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Stand with me, if you will. I don't want our children to grow up in church Worshiping a God they've created, that's idolatry. I don't want our college students to worship a God they think he is. I want us to know him. By the way, doesn't matter how much I know him. Doesn't matter how much your mom and dad knows him or your grandparents or a Christian you know. You cannot know anything. You cannot know him through them. You can only know about him. To know him, you have to walk in his word, be filled with his spirit, and live in his will. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would...